Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada. Today we come to a conclusion on this brief one-week series called From Creation to Creation. Today we turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 17 to 19 as Dr. Neufeld presents a message entitled Revelation and the Goal of History. I've said it before on this program, and I'd like to say it again. More than presenting us with just a series of stories and historical narratives, the Bible is actually one story, from Genesis to Revelation. Of course, as any really good story, there are surprising twists and turns in the plot line, as well as issues that need resolution. But unlike fiction, the story of the whole Bible is a true story, played out in actual time and space, in real history. It's the story of God and his world. So what's the story about? I think 2 Corinthians 5.19 states it quite well. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. The Bible's one story is the story of an altogether glorious God who has created all things and who has chosen to reveal his splendor in showing mercy through his chosen Messiah. One of the reasons I so love the book of Revelation is that Revelation draws themes from the whole Bible, pulls them together, and helps us see the entire scope of biblical history, drawing it to its conclusion. In the end, God is shown to be what he truly is, supreme, and the object of all our longings and affections. And as an expression of his infinite loveliness, he created a new heaven and a new earth and places man as the crown of his creation, charging them with ruling and reigning over all the works of his hands. And to that end, Revelation presents us with a number of themes along the way. I want to trace those themes today and try to show how it is that the book of Revelation brings together the teachings of the whole Bible. I begin with drawing your attention to Revelation chapters 17 all the way through to 19. Three long chapters in Revelation are taken up in a lengthy discussion of Babylon. Chapter 17 verse 1 begins the discussion this way. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Behold, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. The water and the sea is, in Revelation, a depiction of the tumultuous nature of the nations. So here's an image, a prostitute who has taken her place in not some, but many of the nations on the earth. And then verse 2 is the image taken one step further. With whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. Now, those of you who are biblically informed might immediately think of a rather graphic and grotesque image that arises out of the book of Ezekiel in chapter 23. There, Ezekiel pictures two women. One is named Ohala, and the other is named Ohalabah. They are sisters, and the two women represent first Israel and then Judah in that order. And with that, Ezekiel describes in graphic detail how the two women grow up and become prostitutes, prostitutes of the worst kind, chasing after potential lovers, and we are shown what their prostitution entails. We soon learn that this image is intended to show that both Israel and then Judah are chasing after pagan nations and worshiping their gods. That's their adultery. They're cheating on the Lord. Now, in Revelation, 
it would seem that this same vision, the, the vision of Ezekiel, is being reused. But now, rather than speaking of the chosen people, the image is changed, and it's the other way around. It's the kings of the earth that seek out this prostitute, and in that they seek out the pleasures that she has to offer. And here we, we must think from Ezekiel that Revelation is referring to the earth's mighty leaders seeking out both power and pagan forms of worship. Now let's skip a couple of verses to verses 5 and 6, where we further get a description of the prostitute. And on her head was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. If we go further into the description of this woman, we, we would find that she has allied herself with the beast, who is a depiction of the Antichrist. Furthermore, we find that this woman is adorned with precious jewelry, indicating her opulent wealth. Well, I will delay the, the full description of the scene until we actually have the time to study Revelation one verse at a time, but, but suffice it to say that the prostitute Babylon is wealthy, She's powerful, she's idolatrous, she's seductive, and she's vicious. For she kills the people of God with wantonness and gets drunk on their blood, for she loves killing the saints. Now, what are we to make of this image? Again, as is often the case when studying the images in Revelation, the more we know about the rest of the Bible, the more likely we are to understand. You know, if you travel to Iraq today, you're going to find that Babylon is but a heap and a ruin. The ruins of Babylon are about 75 to 80 kilometers just south of Baghdad and are to the most part now covered with desert. But archaeologists have uncovered some of her treasures and some have been removed, like, for instance, the famous Ishtar Gate, which is in the museum in Berlin. But the Bible traces the history of this city to the very beginnings of human civilization after the flood, that is, in the time of Noah. According to Genesis 11, verse 4, the motivation for building that city comes down to one important sentence. It says, and they, that is, the men who formed Babel, or what would become Babylon, said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, in essence, the impulse behind the building of this city was to unify the entire human race and to celebrate human greatness apart from the one creator God. But unifying a fallen human race requires some work, and, and fascinatingly, Babylonian culture from its very beginning was built upon advances in human technology and the bringing together of human resources. They learned the art of baking bricks thoroughly, meaning they discovered a building material that they could both shape and was sufficiently durable for a lasting construction. And so they could build something that would endure for generations, depicting the greatness of the religion of man. And furthermore, they learned how to use bitumen to get the bricks to bond together with each other. And out of this advance in building technology, they were able to build a tower which held the world together with a common religion. They claimed the tower reached the heavens, or the dwelling place of the gods. They claimed to touch the spiritual realm. They claimed that their city was the world's portal to the divine. Now, all of that was to build a one-world unity. 
And that unity would come about in profound opposition to the Creator God. Now, God came down to see the tower that the citizens of Babylon were building, and then he scatters their speech, making their one-world civilization impossible. Now, in the context of Genesis, that was done in fulfillment to the promise that God had given to Noah. Uh, The reason for the flood was that the enemies of God were persecuting the godly line out of existence. Had God not intervened by destroying the ungodly line by drowning them, the ungodly line would have destroyed the people of God, and God seems determined to protect his people. But immediately after the flood, God makes a promise, one of the great covenants of the Bible. It's a promise of mercy in spite of human rebellion. Genesis 9-11 records God as saying, I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now, if God makes a promise never to destroy the earth with a flood again, he must have devised a way to protect his people from such a global evil that makes the flood a necessity. And then we come to Babel. We come to a civilization after the flood that would bring unity to the whole earth with a deeply pagan religious system that would have utterly destroyed the godly line. Since God has promised never to destroy the earth by a flood again, God intervenes at that point in time. He confuses their language, making it impossible for a super society to ever develop. Now hear me, for what I'm about to say is very crucial. Up to this hour in which we now presently live, God has never allowed the human race to unite. He sets nations in conflict with nations. One rises to power and dominates its neighbors only to find themselves dominated by another power. And that is the mercy of God. But in the time of the end, when God allows Satan to have his little season. The world indeed unites under the Antichrist and the spirit of Babel or Babylon, which was always been lurking in the experience of this world, now suddenly takes center stage. Whether on radio, online, in print, podcast, or YouTube, God continues to use this ministry to guide people back to the Bible and to encourage and equip them to search more deeply into Scripture. One listener wrote to say, God used your radio ministry to lead me to saving faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise God, still learning and growing daily. Another wrote, I have just recently found Jesus, and I'm grateful to be able to listen to your program while I'm at work. I have learned so much, and you help bring me closer to God. You know, we recognize that this ministry could not be sustained without like-hearted, like-minded partners in mission right across Canada. Thank you for your prayers and support. And if you'd like to know more or make a gift toward our fiscal year-end campaign, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. The fact that God has not allowed a one-world super-society to develop has greatly benefited the people of God. Let me give an example. There are nations throughout the earth that persecute God's people. 
One example of that is fundamentalist Islamic nations, which have enacted harsh anti-conversion laws and brought great suffering on Christians. But that's just one example. Other examples that have been in our recent past have included the rise of atheistic communist nations. But before that, there have been numerous other examples, including, even in the Middle Ages, a corrupt and deeply heretical church which burned its enemies at the stake. And if those kinds of societies got power over the earth, they would utterly destroy the people of God. But God has always raised up nations to frustrate their hunger for power, and thus a global superpower of evil has been prevented by God until now. I think that Paul speaks of this when he speaks of the one who restrains, that is, God restrains Babel. It can't unite the world, at least it hasn't up till now. And so we get a sense of Babel or Babylon. It's so much more than a city. It's, it's a culture, a philosophy, a spiritual power of worldwide conquest and the suppressing of the people of God. It promises untold wealth. It delivers a spirituality that arises from Satan himself. And the kings of the earth have always been tempted and some seduced with what Babylon has to offer. Babylon in its many forms continues to live among the civilizations of men, and like a prostitute that goes out in the night, she attempts to allure the kings of the earth into her bedroom. And this theme of revelation is drawn from pages of the entire Bible. It's the, the great spiritual warfare that encompasses the earth. As we read through the Old Testament, we get a picture of Israel engaged in conflict with the gods of the nations around them. We get a picture of warfare both within and without. You know, from within, we see the constant struggle against idolatry in Israel and her lack of concern with the law of God and, and her wanton desire to be like the powerful nations around her. But in Psalm 2, verse 2, we get an excellent illustration of the warfare from without. It says, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. The hatred of Israel as the chosen people of God is part of the spirit of Babel. Eventually, that warfare would reach a culmination as none other than Babylon itself would send her armies and, and burn the temple to the ground and brutally butcher many in Jerusalem and, and carry whoever remained into exile. It would seem that at that time that the spirit of Babel was prevailing, for not only were they destroying the people of God, but the growth of the Babylonian empire which saw itself as the tree under which the whole earth would take its shade. City of Babylon at its zenith was the most splendid city on earth, and it was believed that her occultic religion, which included magic and divining the future, would eventually encompass the whole world. But God would keep his covenant that he had made in Genesis 9 verse 11. And surprisingly, we see the rise of Daniel, and the proving that even in Babylon itself, God would demonstrate his supremacy. Eventually, Babylon herself would fall to the Persians, and the Persians would fall to the Greeks, and the Greeks to the Romans. And even though many attempts have been made since to build a super society that would encompass the earth, the spirit of Babylon, that in some sense is found in all the nations of the earth, would never be allowed to prevail. Now, when Jesus came to earth, we, we immediately find him engaged in great warfare. Uh, wherever Jesus went, demons fled in terror. But what is more, 
he promised to build his church and the gates of hell, the, the stronghold of Babylon itself, would not be able to keep his church from gathering in God's elect. His church and not Babylon would prevail. And in many ways, the book of Revelation depicts the Roman empires, Babylon. The Roman emperor demanded that he be called Lord. Roman's technological advances, uh, her building prowess, the the power of her armies, and, and the way in which she controlled a large chunk of the earth was a power to be contended with. And in the book of Revelation, as Jesus is depicted as walking among the lampstands, his eye is on his church. She is called to be faithful in the great demonic society in which she lived. I'm reminded of Jesus' words to the church in the city of Pergamum. I know where you dwell, he said, where Satan's throne is. I'm reminded of Jesus' words to the church in Thyatira. Jesus commends those who have not learned what he calls the deep things of Satan. Some of the church in Sardis had not soiled their garments and had kept themselves as the people of God. And here I find that approaching the book of Revelation as as both a document that applies to the first century church and also speaks to the end of the age when Antichrist rules, I mean, both of these perspectives are so helpful. Because when we look at Revelation, we discover how it applied to the first century church, and for that matter, to those seven churches in Asia Minor, and we catch a picture of of the great battle with evil that they were facing. And they were told not to be afraid, for your God is on the throne, and in the end, you and not Babylon will prevail. And when we look at the book of Revelation through its long-term fulfillment, seeing yet a great tribulation facing the human race in the future, and the last days we see the rise of the spirit of Babylon, we are equally not afraid, for God is still on the throne. Let's return to what is said about Babylon in Revelation 17 to 19. In Revelation 18, verse 1, we find a glorious promise. It's the announcement that God's people have been waiting for since the beginning, since the days of Noah. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, we're told. Indeed, in a single hour, the chapter tells us, she shall be laid low and her power will be not stopped, but Babylon will be utterly destroyed. And in that hour when she's destroyed, all the nations of the world will weep over her. For she has made them rich, and that which she has provided is taken from them forever. But those who put their hope in Jesus will see things exactly reversed. For we, the people of God, who have been persecuted by Babylon through the centuries, will find that our Lord will utterly destroy her. In Revelation 18, verse 4, we read, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, For her sins are heaped as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Here's one of the great themes that runs through the entire book of Revelation. See, Revelation is not given us so that we can develop a roadmap that tells us where we are today on the prophetic calendar, but rather Revelation presents us with clear and unmistakable evidence that we, the people of God, are not to participate in that which will ultimately be condemned. Refuse to invest in Babylon. Cleanse yourself from her corruptions. Do not build your hope and your wealth in this world. Rather, reject Babylon and prefer Jerusalem. For Babylon promises riches, but with riches she delivers sorcery, 
and corruption and compromises with your faith, and it causes you to take your eyes off of your pure love for Jesus. See, in Revelation 19, after it's announced that Babylon has fallen, John reports that he heard the sound of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of a crash of thunder. This was the combined voices of the redeemed of Christ standing before the throne. And what is it that they're shouting? Revelations chapter 19, 6-7 records their cry. Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Indeed, the book of Revelation is a tract that demands that we make a choice as to which group that we would like to belong to. And unlike the thinking of some, you can't have your foot in both camps. You're either all in, in Babylon, the condemned city, or in Jerusalem, the city of our God that endures for all eternity. You must choose where you belong. All of us will have to decide where we belong, by where our affections and our desires are. See, is our happy home in this sin-cursed creation through which the spirit of Babylon constantly stalks? Or is our happy home the promise of the new heavens and the new earth? Is there an unfulfilled longing that just can't be eclipsed for the new heavens and the new earth, for the holy city of Jerusalem, for the land with the river of the water of life flowing from the throne of God, and for the land in which night and darkness are forever banished? come home to the only home that can satisfy your longings and rejoice, for Babylon's destruction is soon at hand. John, this has been an incredible series, but it's been brief, and uh, it, we, we haven't meant for it to be exhaustive, I don't think, but, but there is a purpose behind it. What would you say the purpose of creation to creation is all about? I think twofold. I mean, one is I, I do want to create a desire for people to say that studying the book of Revelation would be greatly beneficial for my soul. I, I want them to think that. But secondly, also, I've wanted to stir up this hunger for the land that God has promised us, that, that our ultimate longing is never to be fulfilled on this earth. Earth has no fulfillment of our long-term goals. And so to begin to hunger after the new creation and uh, the holy city and seeing God face to face and, and all the things that are promised ought to be in our own souls. Thanks so much, John. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. June is one of the most significant months of the year financially for the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. Like every family, individual, and organization across the country, we've had to adjust our expenses this past year. But despite the challenges and because of your consistent support, we continue to be committed to making all of our Bible teaching programming and resources available without interruption. To help maintain this commitment, a group of generous ministry supporters who share our heart for Bible teaching have offered to double your gifts this month. The June ministry target for our fiscal year end is $325,000. Would you help to provide a financial gift towards that goal? Remember, every dollar you give will be matched up to $75,000, so your gift has doubled the impact. 
To make your fiscal year-end gift today, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.